0: The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While walking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God had shown me that that I should not call any impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses who God had allowed or had already chosen. But us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one who God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their, being, of their being baptized with water. They had received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days.
1: While you're standing, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the testimony Of the church being built. And I ask that we would build this community on that same foundation. Give us the grace to understand what that is and how to express it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. Pastor Tim did an amazing job last week outlining this uh, remarkable moment in the history of the church in which it was clearly no longer just a church for the Jews, but now also for the Gentiles, meaning everyone else, and how this moment marks that. It's a moment in church history that clarifies what God's kingdom is about, that it's not built on a common culture or even a specific land, but a common faith. In Romans 14, it says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, meaning it's not a physical place, but it's a place of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so what we find is a clarification of what the kingdom of God is about. Now, as I was praying and meditating on these things, I thought about a kingdom or a nation, that typically a kingdom and a nation is built on a constitution, which is kind of governing values or principles. And so if you're going to start a kingdom, you're going to build that on a particular set of values and beliefs and principles. Every kingdom or nation has a constitution. I found it interesting that when I thought of the constitution, I didn't think of Canada, I thought of the states. It's weird that I I don't think, do we have a constitution? Oh, we do. But I think of the, of the American constitution, it says all men are created equal, that they are, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalien- inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's interesting that as I did look up the Canadian Constitution, that our First Amendment is everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security, is how it's uh, written in Canada. And then I thought, well, okay, that's America. Let's look then at what the UN has to say about what is the universal declaration of human rights, and these are the articles. Number one is that all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. Number two is that everyone is entitled to all the rights and freedoms set forth in this declaration without distinction or mean prejudice. And then it goes through three to 30 are a list of rights. Life, liberty, safety, justice, family, you have a right to have a family, a right to own property, a right to worship, religion, to work, to have an education, these are rights. So if you have a country or nation, what you do is you list all the rights and freedoms of that people. So as I was thinking about these things, I thought, what then is this new burgeoning kingdom of God, this redefinition of what the kingdom of God is about, it's not about a common land, it's not about a common people group, it's bigger than that, it includes Jews and Gentiles, what is the constitution of God's kingdom? What's God's kingdom built upon? Now, I think it's summarized in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and it's the strangest constitution you could ever imagine, but this is how the kingdom of God is described. Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are three distinguishing factors of the kingdom of God. Baptism in Jesus' name, the forgiveness of sins, in the infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is what the kingdom of God is built upon. Now, here in chapter 10, as we see this movement from simply being uh, Jewish congregations to now uh, Gentiles are involved, those three things are restated in the verses that we've just read in Acts chapter 10. So let's look at each one of these, and then we'll draw some insights, hopefully, from them. The first is baptism in, in Acts chapter 10, verse 48. He ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What is baptism? It's a public pledge of repentance. In, uh, in verse 35, we talked about this for a few weeks, that they feared the Lord and they, they were committed to doing what is right, that they had churned from the kingdom of self to fear God. It's spelled out more clearly that uh, it's in Jesus' name, meaning that what you're churning from, clearly, is doing your own thing, but who you're churning to is declaring that Jesus Christ would be Lord. Now, this is the foundation of the kingdom of God. That there's one ruler, his name is Jesus, and to be baptized in his name means you're churning from every competing ruler to declare that Jesus Christ is your Lord. A kingdom can't survive with competing powers. The only way that this church is able to stay together is if we all submit to one power, one Lord, Jesus Christ. And as soon as you have any competing powers, the kingdom of God and that the churches inside of that kingdom are sure to dissolve. Because power always brings division unless it's clarified who we're submitting to. Now, here's the first uh, note that is interesting about this idea of, of baptism. God's kingdom replaces rights and freedoms with responsibilities. Now, when you go through other nations, what other nations are rallied around is this is our rights and freedoms. So if you're, if you're a Canadian, you look and you go, okay, what's my, uh, what are my rights and freedoms being Canadian? What we find in the kingdom of God is instead of rallying around rights and freedoms, it begins by rallying around a responsibility, that you and I have the responsibility to worship Jesus Christ as Lord. What a fascinating difference. So much so that if you want to be a member of the kingdom of God, you and I actually have to die to our rights and freedoms and surrender to Jesus unequivocally. This is very different. Now, it's easy to come into the church and say, okay, what are my rights and freedoms in this community? And God taps us on the shoulder and says, excuse me, the way that we belong to the kingdom of God is through dying to ourselves, Galatians 2.20 says, and living by faith in Jesus Christ and submitting to his authority. The kingdom of God is first built upon a responsibility, not a right, right? I can almost guarantee that any time you and I divide our hearts, maybe not physically, but we divide ourselves from the kingdom of God, is because we're fighting for our rights and freedoms. I can almost guarantee it. At least that's how I do it. Uh, I find my heart moving away from the kingdom of God. It's because I become demanding. I demand that my rights and freedoms be valued and honored. And the Bible comes along and says the way that you and I are able to stay together is by dying to those things, that we were bought with a price. It's the, it's the language of slavery, that we've died to our rights and freedoms, and we surrender to Jesus as our master and Lord. That is very, a very interesting foundation for a kingdom to be built upon. The second thing that we see is the forgiveness of sins. In verse 33, it says, all the prophets testify about him. So that's an interesting statement already that all the Old Testament is prophesying about him that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. Forgiveness is the basis of admission into the kingdom of God and also ongoing membership. I would venture to say that it's absolutely impossible to be part of the kingdom of God for sure, it's how we get in through the forgiveness of sins, but it's also how we stay. Again, I think the way that we divide and, and leave God's church, which is our, the representation of the kingdom of God on earth, the way that we is, is if we think that we're able to be here according to our own performance and ability, that the only way that we stay is as we receive forgiveness and as we give that forgiveness away to others. So, uh, in God's kingdom, uh, it also replaces rights and freedoms with privileges. It's a privilege to be forgiven. Freely you have received, freely give. This morning, I was preaching in our Seattle church. And, uh, I pull up to the American border, and they they asked, what are you going down for? I said, I'm gonna be speaking at a church. They go, are you gonna get paid? I said, nope. And uh, they didn't believe me, so he wrote me a little slip, and I had to go in and talk with some very friendly border guards. And uh, so we had a little chat, it's all good. But now imagine I'm coming back into Canada, so I am entering the nation of Canada. Now imagine if the border guard uh, stopped me and says, excuse me, um, in order to enter this nation, there's some things that we need to work through and clarify. And so the first thing that we want to know, says uh, the border guard speaking, do you feel loved today by the king of Canada? You know, can you imagine that this is the admission, like, do you feel loved? Do you feel forgiven? Do you feel grateful for the forgiveness that you've received through your king dying. Like, what, a, what a strange uh, reason for being admitted into a nation is if we receive forgiveness. I mean, most border guards are trying to make sure that we live up to the rules. And here we have our king doing something incredibly fascinating, and that is building a relationship with his people on the basis of forgiveness. What a great foundation for relationship. Isn't it profound? Now, I don't know about you, but the first thing that goes through my mind if I'm going to have a relationship with somebody is a contract. It's about clarifying the rules. What are the rights and freedoms? What are my obligations? Here we go. And God comes along and says, Admission into this kingdom is built On the forgiveness of sins. And the only reason why you'll ever stay in this kingdom is if you work through the issue of forgiveness in your heart. It's the only way that you you could get in, but it's also the only way that you'll stay. What's going to alienate you and I from God and from one another is if we stop living by the rule of forgiveness. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I find it interesting when we think of uh, of church discipline that there's only uh, there's only one discipline that the church has, and it's to uh, and it's to it's to pull back an experience of the gift of forgiveness. To be separated from the community is simply to be separated out of the space in which forgiveness is the rule. What a what a weird thing that we perform judgment with is uh, is to be removed from forgiveness. The final one that we see is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have baptism, forgiveness, and the gift of the Holy Spirit in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. This is the only time in the book of Acts where uh, uh, baptism follows being the gift of the Spirit, which I think is interesting in that the three are kind of jumbled up. There's not a particular order. But here's what it says when the Jews, the Christian Jews, saw the Gentiles speaking in tongues, being filled with the Holy Spirit, it said that they were astonished. This was the one that was most remarkable. They were happy to baptize, understood that we, everyone needs the forgiveness of sins, but when the Holy Spirit came on somebody, they were shocked. And what this marked was full inclusion. There was now no distinction between Jew or Gentile. Everything that would be granted to Jews is now granted to Gentiles, and it's now an equal uh, playing field. There is no uh, cultural superiority. There's nobody fighting over land or rights. It's built on the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is marked, as we talked about many weeks ago now, that they're all speaking now a common language, the gift of speaking in tongues, that the unity was found not in a human language. The unity was now in that we all speak the language of worship, the language of a love of God and the worship of who he is. And so what we see in the gift of the Holy Spirit is that being Spirit-filled is both a privilege, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, as well as a responsibility, that we've been given the Holy Spirit in order to love. And so we see that somehow in this gift of the Holy Spirit comes together both the privilege as well as the responsibility. And we discover that power isn't hoarded by a subgroup, by a particular culture or group of people. It's now distributed to all of the baptized, to all who declare Jesus as Lord. We have the gift of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to love one another and most importantly, to love God. So let me ask you then, as we look at these three items, upon what, if this is our constitution, we need to be baptized, forgiven, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the foundation of the kingdom of God. Let me ask you then, upon what fundamental principles do you build your relationship with God and others? You know, I think about when I get insecure in my relationship with God, the first place that my mind goes is not forgiveness, it's my performance. It's the first place my mind goes. I go, am I performing well enough? I just, I naturally go there. If I'm struggling with another uh, human being, I'm thinking about contract, not covenant. I'm thinking about whether they're keeping the rules and whether I'm keeping the rules. What... Uh, what do you use as a criteria for who you'll walk with? What's the criteria? Is the criteria forgiveness, baptism, being filled with the Holy Spirit, or are there other amendments in, the con- in your constitution that have other qualifications in order to walk together? I find in my heart, if I ever add to these three, my relationships go sideways. And so it becomes the only way that you and I are able to stay in community in the church is if these three are not attitude, but they become the principal guiding factor of our relationship with one another. And I find it's also true in uh, my relationship with my natural family that only as I practice these three am I, are we able to walk together. Sadly, it's also why we divide the biggest things that I have to work on in my heart is make sure that I am fearing the Lord and doing what is right in his eyes, that I die to myself and I live by faith in Christ, that I practice forgiveness as the rule of relationship, and that I trust in the grace of the Holy Spirit that enables me to love others, not based on their performance, but based on my decision to freely love the way that I've been freely loved. So, do you have rights and freedoms? Or do you have uh, privileges and responsibilities? I think this is a great way to think. We're going to continue to worship together. And uh, uh, I would like us to meditate on what we're building our relationship with God and each other on. Not rights and freedoms, but on privileges and responsibilities. If you would please stand as the worship team comes up. I would like to pray for these things. Father, I think about how the world tries to create a safe place and how we fight for our rights and we demand our freedoms. And we believe that if those things can be met, we'll be able to walk together. But I thank you that you, Spirit of God, come and you radically redefine the foundation of relationship. And so I ask on behalf of my friends that you would establish in our hearts your criteria for relationship. I ask that you would give us the grace to die to our self-rule and to declare Jesus as Lord of our hearts and lives. I pray that the basis of relating would be the basis of forgiveness, not performance. And I ask that you would baptize, that you would fill us again with your Holy Spirit, that we could experience the ability to give love just as we freely receive love. Father, I ask, please, would you purge us of every other criteria for walking together? And would it be built upon these three things? And so we surrender to you as Lord, we receive your forgiveness, and we walk in the power of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for redefining the beauty of the kingdom of God.